0: Kiza Blacklit magazine is a proud sponsor of Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for black women. Welcome to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for black women. This program is produced to help women of color in leadership move from their zone of excellence to their zone of genius by eliminating any false upper limits caused by race, gender, culture, or their own inner critic. This program is dedicated to the legacy of Harriet Tubman, who held a lantern in the dark for all of us. I'm your host, ICF-certified executive leadership coach, Joya jefferson Nur. And welcome to another episode of Unshackled Leadership, Lantern for Black Women. I am so glad you're here today. The Lazo Group in Boston calls DEI future-proofing. They define future-proofing that it's a business practice to improve an organization's sustainability and longevity. What I love most about that is that DEI can focus on a company's growth. And not just the humanitarian efforts. Because we all know we, the humanitarian efforts sort of peter out. They're doing it because it's a good thing to do. But if you can start to define it as part of their bottom line, their company growth, then maybe people will focus on it a little longer. And maybe, quite maybe, we can have some difference made in the world. I love the fact that the Lazoo Group is starting with profit. Our guest today is the founder and CEO of the Lazoo Group, Malia Lazoo. Before the Lazoo Group, Malia was an executive vice president and regional president at Berkshire Bank, where she worked to generate wealth for the communities by expanding access to capital. And she was able to do that because the bank made a commitment to making a change in the community where they sat. Malia,
1: welcome to Unshackled Leadership. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Joya. It's so wonderful to be here, and congratulations on hosting such a wonderful podcast.
0: Well, thank you so much. Well, in full disclosure, I want to tell the audience that we've been friends for more than 20 years. Facts. (laughs) Facts. And we motivate each other to do good and to get in some good trouble over the years. Facts. (laughs) (laughs) So, Malia, future proofing. You released a white paper on it in late October. Tell us about future
1: proofing. Where did you come up with that phrase, and what does it really mean? So future, so future proofing is not a phrase I necessarily coined, but is a concept in business of how you think about keeping your company viable competitive into the future, right? So, um, you know, there's a a big, you know, like a business example um, or saying that folks use the person who invented the icebox was not the person who invented the refrigerator, right? The icebox company lost out on that. And one could say it's because they did not see the future, right? Um, And it's really important to be able to understand how to see the future properly. And I think this is where D E and I comes in. And um, when you're thinking about future-proofing a company, yes, it's about products, yes, it's about technology, but it's also about labor, right? Companies are nothing without the people who are in it. That's what makes a brand come to life, come to life. Um, and so we wanted to take an angle on future-proofing that wasn't about technology, that wasn't about, you know, products and services, but really was about the people of a company, which for us is the best way to future-proof. If you want to get ideas, you want a diverse room, thinking about those ideas of the future, right? Um, we know diversity is Um, is beneficial. It's profitable to planning. um, And so you need diverse people in there thinking about your future proofing. How do you convince companies?
0: And I bet you this is DEI specialists everywhere. And I want to say to the audience that Malia is a lot more than DEI. When she works with companies, it's not just about the people and how you treat the people. As we just explained, her Berkshire bank experience was how you're going to use your money outside of your organization to build the community, thus build your brand, thus build your profits and making those sort of um, connections. So I, I want the audience to know that we're talking to somebody who also teaches at MIT and she has this broader view of DEI, but we're going to stay in a DEI conversation right now. I just want the audience to know that.
1: Yes. So when I do go off into, and, and grab points to make from outside of that, that is why, right? Um, so much of my DE&I work comes from my years as a community organizer and, you know, the joy of the work we did together working yes. with Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. um, really understanding how you deconstruct power. And I think I take a lot of those skills into corporations, um, and DEI is really the vehicle that allows you to talk about these things.
0: So how do you convince a company that diversity is profitable? Let's just say you have a company that's not failing. They're doing pretty good for themselves. How do you convince them diversifying their staff, the teams, will bring them more profit later on?
1: you know it's through conversations and also you know folks like to start with the data although i i think we're trained to ask for data i think if all of us think about our personal lives we've all stood on the scale and data did nothing to promote us to go or, you know to to <laughs> motivate us to go to the gym um or motivated so, us for a week and a half <laughs> right you know um <laughs> But, you know, we we see studies, right? And these aren't studies put out by the National Organization of Women or studies put out by, um, you know, the NAACP, right? These are Deloitte, right? These are McKinsey studies that are saying things like diverse teams are 34% more profitable, over 70% more likely to enter a new market um, successfully. And economists from Citibank, estimated that bias is costing our economy 14 trillion dollars um and then so that's just the data but then common sense right tells you what is the best way to be competitive in a global environment (laughs) right Mm -hmm. um and i think the other the other thing we talk about is what are employees and consumers looking for and we have data there as well right what we know is that consumers are more likely to stick with a brand and spend more money with a brand that aligns with their values. Um, and, and we know that employees, millennials and younger, are willing to take a pay cut to work for a company that aligns with their values. So, you know, there is there's many data points and that point to why this is important. Um, So that's one piece of how I talk to companies. But the other thing is that what I find is uh, for the companies that I work with, right? And so I want to be clear, um, you know, these are companies that aren't against Mm DE&I, right? Um, It's really not about, I, I think they understand the commitment. I think what becomes hard is reconciling that with the current culture and with the need for quarterly earnings. Right. So that that's really where the conversations where, you know, I work with clients for years. Right. And because this, this isn't an an amazing grace moment, right. That's not what happens for companies. Um, And um, so working with them, helping them see what, that this isn't as scary as they think and um, is is then another part of the work.
0: You know, you said that the bias is costing $14 billion a year. A trillion. trillion. Oh my goodness. A trillion dollars a year. And I recognize that Hollywood got that because I now am seeing, as we all are, more shows starring Black actors produced by Black people in general, written by more Black people. So Hollywood got or at least Netflix and Prime, Apple TV, the streaming services got that the audience is looking for themselves, more Asians, more blacks, more women. And so I'm glad you're working with companies that are not against this, but I'm sure that when you walk in the door, there is a little something that you have to ask, I'm sure, why haven't you done it
1: before? Why did it take George Floyd? Absolutely. You know, I think for, I think most companies, if you were to ask that question, would tell you about the things they did before, right? With women, maybe with black people, right? Um, And that is an important question. Um, When you click on that, the, I think it becomes more of a, what are you scared of, right? What are the sticking points? And really to know that you have to talk to employees, right? Cause they will tell you, right. Being with middle managers will tell you. And, you know, so a lot, I, you know, I said earlier, Joya, when, when we were, Spending a couple minutes before we jumped on, I said, You know, I feel like I'm a Sherpa. Mm, And, you know, a lot of I think the role of a Sherpa is not just to be like, This is how you don't fall off. This is how you don't die, but to be like, We rest here, right? This is where it is safe to rest. It is not safe to go up the mountain anymore because of a weather coming in or what it might be, right? And those are the conversations. It is safe
0: to rest here define that for me. The rest here.
1: Corporations, it's a typical corporate culture to want to fix something, throw money at the problem, make change and call it a day. And sometimes what corporations actually need to do is stop. And in in the, um, you know, one of the things that we talk about, the three L's, listen, learn, take loving action. Right, because that's the action that matters to the communities you're trying to attract. And if you just react, if you just react and and don't actually rest, right? Don't actually stop to look at the weather, right? To see to see what's going on, you're gonna trudge on into the storm.
0: Right. So I, I get that now. I get it. So you as the Sherpa. So continue that conversation. I just needed that definition.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, as we're, and I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. So also, if you want to get me back on track, Joya, you know, I'll just start talking. So will I in the audience four hours later. Well, what have they been talking
0: about? Everything. Well, Gaza will slip in here somewhere. 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 Some good
1: gossip. Yeah. Um, but I think you were asking, you know, we're losing $14 trillion every decade. Right. How, how are we, you know, how, how do I do the, right. How how do I work people through it? And, and I guess what I'm trying to express is that it's a practice. We practice it together, right. We, we walk the mountain together. We, you know, um, and what, and, you know, this idea of a Sherpa is, you know, I, I understand these roads. (laughs) right? I understand the weather. Coming in, a lot of them are my friends, right? You talk about Hollywood, understanding it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, shout out to Color of Change, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. yes. Um, you know, shout out to the NAACP. Shout out to Me Too, right? It, it's these movements that um, that get folks to change. Um, and so, if a company wants to change, we we talk about what that looks like. And then we practice that together. And um, there's times where they may want to run ahead. Mm -hmm. um, And it's, you know, well, well, we just want to do something.
0: And I I would, I would guess that there's also time when they're
1: tired. You know, tiredness often sits in a certain, it, it, it rarely sits in the C-suite and maybe mm. that's because it's a, it's a different, they play a different role, but yeah. especially, I mean, I think tiredness, fatigue, you know, it, it's, it is a part of this work, which is also why you need to know how to not always be reacting. Right. 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 Because yoga can be tiring or it can be restorative. Exactly. Or both. Or both. both. Yes.
0: And so back to the the, the, the three L's. Repeat those to me. The Listen, learn,
1: take loving action.
0: Listen, learn, take loving action. In your white paper, you say, white ignorance can be undone by curiosity.
1: What do you mean by that? We have all, right? I mean, George Floyd, right, had moments where There's this, I mean, we call it tone deafness. Charles Mills um, calls it, um, philosopher calls it white ignorance. But it's this inability to understand the structural and institutional problems with race that people feel, right? What oppression is, what injustice is. And so George Floyd happens and people go, oh my God, this is I didn't know this was happening. It happens twice a day in America. Yeah. Black people know that, Mm -hmm. right? Black people aren't ignorant to that. So when you're, you know, so this idea of whiteness, right? The concept of whiteness, which is, normal right define whiteness whatever however we define normal however we define mainstream right right, right. um comes with its own ignorance that makes it almost impossible to self reflect on whiteness right on the institutional structural and implicit although i do think we're getting a little better on the implicit bias right but So how do you counteract that? I've never been taught that my very thinking has been formed to think a certain way. I've never been taught that my desire to move to the suburbs for good schools is something that sits in white supremacy. My ability to do that is something that sits in white supremacy, right? So rather than just feeling bad or not. I don't understand. Why can't they just get themselves together? Um, Really explore. Get curious. Now, curious is not nosy. (laughs) Right? Difference between being curious and can I touch your hair? (laughs) Right. Exactly. Like nosy, I have a couple of aunts that you can sit with if you want to feel nosy, right? But (laughs) nosy is that feeling that that someone's trying to get to know you so that they can judge you, right? So that they can figure out where to put you, how to think about you.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Curious. And the Cherokee have a fabulous definition, and I'm paraphrasing it. But their definition of curiosity is, I become a better person by knowing you. Mm, that you have something intrinsically valuable to teach me that will help me live a better life. Mm -hmm. And when you apply that to DE&I in a corporate workplace, when you tie that to how do you get rid of, resolve white ignorance, curiosity becomes what happened right? What is happening? It's about looking at the larger picture, right? Not just why did this cop kill George Floyd, right? But why does this keep happening? Yes, what yes. are Black people saying about this? And so when we talk about the three L's as a way to get curious, right? And as a way to be curious, the first step is to listen. And that's shh shut up, shut up, don't say anything. Don't ask a question. Yeah. Don't don't say anything. Just in, listen to what the community was saying. In my coaching
0: training, my ICF coaching training, you're looking for level three listening. And this is the these are the three levels. The first level is, are you still talking? I need to talk. I'm just waiting for you to shut up so I can talk. That's not listening. The second level of listening is. Oh, wait a minute. I'm on my cell phone. (laughs) Were you still talking? Level three is I am totally present for you. I have shut down all my filters. I have shut down all of my judgments and I'm hearing every word you're saying to me. And I'm absorbing them in my body so that I can respond to you without any predetermined speech that's level three listening. And I guess that's what you're asking in your
1: listening, level three. Correct. That, I, that, that's such a great way of, of looking at it. You know, your, every community that you're either trying to include or trying to know about has already been talking about what would help them feel that they belong in America. You know, in, in some cases for hundreds of years, so by listening, it allows you to see what is already being said so you don't say something like, oh my gosh, isn't that so awful about George Floyd? I'm so shocked. What can I do to help? Mm-hmm. Right? Because you realize that that burdens the community. You right. realize that we, we have a million answers out there. So then you go to learning. Now, this is where you can ask questions, right? Because you know how to be in the space properly right? You've done your due diligence, right? You've given respect to this culture that there's something you need to know about before you come in and able to learn with dignity and respect, right? And so learning is where you go into the community, where you listen and ask questions with them, right? Where you learn together. You have this agenda. Tell me about it. Tell me how I, as a business, can help you achieve it. Right? That's learning. And that allows you to get to the third L, taking loving action. And by learning what you should do to help, that will allow the action to be relevant and responsive and welcomed by the community. So the example I love to use is Juneteenth. George Floyd happened and we got the Juneteenth holiday. Now, Joya, you and I have been to several black meetings. Mm-hmm. Juneteenth is not what we would have asked for. Matter of fact, we, we had a police reform bill that we've been begging for.
0: I am so happy to see hear you say that up. I'm like, Juneteenth is not a celebration. It's really not a celebration, but we can get into You can come back for my Juneteenth show next year. and we're Fabulous, fabulous. But I do have a question around the listen, learn, and loving action. Now, let's convert that to a company with the future proofing that something happens and they have to listen within their company. What does listening look like
1: in their company? I love that question. So first, I think you nailed it with, Whoever is doing the listening needs to be able to do level three listening. Also, whoever is doing the listening needs to have the power to do something about it. Now, what you want is a whole company, right? I like to do cross-departmental, right? But you can't just have the bottom runs, right? You need some folks who can... um make decrees, right? You need people who have that kind of power to cut through the culture, the current culture sometimes, right? So what listening would look like would be like we do with clients something called discovery groups, where we sit in a facilitated space and we allow employees. And sometimes this is actually where discovery groups actually will just have me so that employees can speak freely about something. Mm -hmm. And then I'm able to prepare that with anonymity, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Or we've done bearing witness exercises with C-suites so that, you know, the president- They're
0: listening to the witnessing.
1: Okay. And again, they're listening. Right. You know, bearing witness is about observing. They're
0: not defending. They're not sharing their own story. They're not talking about their grandmother's hardship coming out of Ireland. They're not doing any of that. They're just listening.
1: They're just listening. Um, and you know, so there you begin to, um, people begin to see, Oh wait, okay. I didn't realize there was a history to this. Right. Um, and, you know, and so that's what listening ends up looking like within a company. Now, it looks also similar externally, right? If you're trying to get to know a community, obviously you would start internal. Who, who do you already have? But if you want to talk externally, you do, you know, uh, look, how do I say, you, you do a listening tour. Right. Mm -hmm. But often like what I did with the CEO of Berkshire bank is the first way he was really listening is we did a walking tour of the neighborhoods we were entering and we walked into bakeries and we walked into, you know, places where the community just was being. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Right. Where no
1: one knew, you know. I mean, who's the random white guy, right, was what people (laughs) were thinking, (laughs) right? Oh, yeah, he's the president of Berkshire Bank. I know him. No, he just came in to listen,
0: ask questions, and listen to the answers. That's beautiful to get him into the community, especially in banking. You're serving this community. In one way or another, you are the servant in the community. So that's beautiful. So learn within the company. Let's take a short pause and allow me to introduce you to Kiza Black Lit Magazine. Kiza Black Lit Magazine celebrates Black literary arts and artists, the eternal keepers of the stories of Blackness. Kia features fiction, nonfiction, poetry and spoken word, storytelling, lyrics and scripts from stage and screen. Kiza creates a virtual fireside where we can share stories that reflect who we are and what our lives matter. Kiza makes its debut on January 5th, 2024. So submit your work and receive an online edition delivered to your email at nlpginc.com. How was
1: learning? What does that look like? So I I think learning, and again, this depends on your culture, right? Often starts with trainings, right? It it starts with, um, you know, things like that. But I think it has to get to experiences, right? It has to get to um, actually getting your hands dirty. With a community, right? Um, If you're doing it internally, it means working with your employee resource groups. Okay. Right? Um, It means... And employee resource groups are HR? um, Well, so they're employee-led groups that allow, you know, self-identified people, right? A demographic of self-identified people come together to support one another around that lived experience. Um, yes. You know, okay. so uh, often in companies you'll see um, women, young professionals, black or people of color, if, if, you know, if they don't yeah. have enough to have individual ERGs, um, you know, pride, LGBTQIA, ERGs. So if you don't have it, your company that's
0: needing the Sherpa from the bottom of the mountain, you will have to encourage those groups together?
1: You know, often, if I'm coming into a company and they don't have it, we actually do the three L's as a group, right? Because Mm. I can't have them starting up the mountain. Um, And, you know, a crazy stat, um, and I'm forgetting who did the study, but Washington Post did the coverage that I cite in my book, is um, 75% of white people don't have one non-white friend.
0: Well, we know that. 'Cause usually I'm their black friend.
1: Right. And or and you're you ain't their black friend. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we would all have to have like hundred and fifty white friends to like <laughs> yeah, <be right>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> But um,
1: we've been doing a yeoman's job. <laughs> right, right. Um you know, but if someone if someone's like, Well, you know, we don't have any RG, right? We don't have any any diversity. We have women right, um, yeah. is what yeah. we have. Then we actually do listening as in podcast books, watching documentaries, mm-hmm. listening to speeches, mm-hmm. right? And then we do learning, bringing people in, having learned experiences, going out, right, being able to learn from others. And then we decide how we're going to tackle this mountain through loving action.
0: Through loving action. Okay. And if we look at uh, future proofing that loving would actually also be profitable action.
1: Yeah. It we're profitable. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think people often feel bad saying that, right. Because for so, for so long we were the wrong kind of profit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so people want to say they're doing it because they believe it and they're good people. But that's not why I want to be included in business, right? I want you to see my business value, just like yours. Mm -hmm. If you can be good for a company, I can be good for a company. Exactly. Right, and so I want you to hire me
0: because I'm good for your. I I am good, and I am good for your company, just like John, a slot, right? Just Just, like John, right? Right, just like Tad, right? Just like Tad, right? Exactly. Exactly right? right, but I want you to look at me. I want you to at least see me. It's it's sort of like the Rooney Rule in football. You have to at least start to interview black coaches when that wasn't happening before. The Rooney Rule made it no 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 team in the NFL can hire a new head
1: coach without
0: interviewing black men as part of that.
1: Okay, um, so. We- you saying the Rooney Rule, now Now we got to just do this little side tangent. So take us back, Joy. I'm just going to take us a little aside. Oh, sure. Um, because I think the Rooney Rule is a perfect example of the performative nature of this work. So I'm so glad you brought it up because it is, right, it is talented. Well, let me flesh and it, it is...
0: out for the audience just a little bit more. Okay. Art Rooney family owned the Pittsburgh Steelers and he obviously is one of the owners and they all have owner meetings and for centuries there've been no black head coaches you know for centuries there were no black quarterbacks either and that changed itself but no black head coaches and so art rooney being a really nice man i know art rooney I, he was a, a ambassador to ireland when i met him and being in vienna austria breakfast with him. So it's really very nice to have known him and been able to talk to him about the Rooney Rule. I'm a football fan. Right, and fanatic. what he meant by it. And what he meant by it. And he was, a, at the end of his life, he was a little disappointed that it wasn't doing better. So we now, they now have to, no team can get a new head coach without interviewing a person of color. They don't have to right. be black. All right, so now you pick it
1: up. Okay, so... This is why, first of all, shameless plug, this is why my book is called From Intention to Impact, right? Because Rooney knew his intention and what he meant by that, which is why Pittsburgh Steelers have had black head coaches, <laughs> yes, right? Yes,
0: yes. Um, well, they've had one forever.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> yes. And so now let's look at how that plays out in a corporation, right? So if we're you know looking at NFL as a corporation, fast forward to a few years ago with- Bill Belichick, right? Texting the wrong Brian. So he texted Brian Flores, who was uh, who is a black coach in the NFL. And he said, congratulations. It looks like you've landed. And Brian Flores texts back and says, do you know something I don't? Question mark. And he goes, you know, the Jets, you're going. And he was like, are you sure you, this is Brian Flores, like, because Brian Flores wasn't interviewing with the Jets until next Tuesday, mm-hmm. and they had already made enough of the decision of who they were going to hire this white Brian, that Bill yeah, Belichick that. knew about it, and Bill Belichick accidentally texted the wrong Brian. So, this is an example of again, you know, when we when we talk about. How do you actually get this stuff to stick? You can have the best strategy, but your culture will respond to it with either curiosity Mm -hmm. or ignorance, right? The Jets were doing the Rooney rule. They had a black person they were interviewing. But they but weren't it was doing it with the same intention. They were already
0: predetermined that the white Brian was going to get it. They were just doing
1: Art Rooney. Right. You know. They did not have the same intention mm-hmm. that Mr. Rooney had. Yes. As I said, at the
0: end of his life, he was disappointed in. Because it's a
1: brilliant strategy. And like you said, you have to break. How do you hire people you don't know? How do you hire people you don't give chances? Right to to work with right and unlike the nfl some companies are actually doing this well right doing blind resumes right doing diverse Mm -hmm. um you know diverse hiring panels and also not only on the side of the interviewer or interviewee but also interviewer right? right because if i'm trying to attract you joya who's you know hot she can go wherever she wants get whatever job she wants And you come into my all-white, mainly male company for an interview, I've already lost points. Yeah. I'm a,
0: yeah. This may not be the culture I want to be a part of. Or maybe I've been in a part culture like that and I'm not doing it again. And so so this brings me to my next question about lack. And lack L-A-C-K. That there is this and you'll tell me if it's as true as it was in the years I grew up working, there was this feeling that if we diversify, white people won't have. There's a I have a client, and as you know, all of my leadership clients are black women. I have a client who was speaking on race before a conference, and a white woman came up to her and commended her on her speech and how she'd opened her eyes to a lot. She was really getting the compliment. And at the end of the white woman's comment, she said, I do believe in inclusion and equity, but I'm afraid my
1: sons won't get jobs. Respond to that, please. Make sure your sons are competitive in a global environment. (laughs) Um, You know, I I mean, that would be the answer. That, that is the answer. Right. Yes. And, but that's, it's also not the real right. The reality is your sons are still getting jobs. Um, and so I, when you're privileged, equity may seem like a step down, but that's only, as you said, if you have this scarcity mentality, right. Because what I know about our economy and as someone who's Former bank president, unconvinced by capitalism. <laughs> um, economy is not pie. Economy is supposed to grow 3% year over year. That's part of our problem with our climate. So if you're if you're saying that if we expand the competition, you're scared that your sons won't get jobs, then you are saying I need privilege to ensure my sons are competitive.
0: Exactly right.
1: And I think every mother would think that about their children, right? If every parent could give their children privilege. They would. They would, right? So it's they an would. understandable feeling. But do I want to create that child? It, that That's the question, right? And, and you know, I feel... That if we want to, you know, and this woman sounded like she was earnest, right? And that she was open and she listened to be changed in this.
0: She didn't think there was anything wrong with the comment.
1: No, it's about her son. You can't ask her to want food taken out of her son's mouth. Right. Um, but Even though that's again, not true. so, you know, so the answer is getting her to understand that that very comment reinforces the privilege, right? Like, because I don't want your son to not find work either, so he should (laughs) dust up his resume, right?
0: Right, right. You know, you talked about the economy not being pie. I use this analogy with clients who are in this scarcity mentality about can I get the job or will I own the business or... You know, will I get the promotion? Can I build a strategic plan where the board won't fire me? As the CEO, I use this metaphor of taking two buckets, two empty buckets to the ocean and filling both buckets with water and walking away with the water. Will the ocean miss it? No. There is that much abundance in the world. There's that much money. You can go to another ocean. It won't miss it. A river. It won't not gonna miss it. It's just that much available. And if we think that we only have those two buckets, that's when we don't want to let other people in because we think we'll actually run out
1: without privilege. That's it. And you know, I also want to recognize because you know having empathy. I mean, I I have these types of. Co- conversations every day <laughs> right this is a huge mm-hmm. part of my work right um now I just come out and say it you know let's talk about you you know straight white men feeling irrelevant and yeah. you and you see the straight white men be like yes let's talk about <laughs> it <laughs> you know and most- we're
0: not laughing I'm not laughing at it because well we're it's I a mean sincere- we're, we're, we're we're not saying they're irrelevant I like to use reaction. humor yes 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 because exactly. I like to use humor in my attitude. yes, I,
1: yes um But, you know, as far as they're concerned, they worked hard. They missed kids' birthdays. They did this. They did that. And now you're telling them they weren't really competing? Mm. And when Tad was competing with the other Tads, that was somehow him having privilege? When he knows the elbows he had to throw? when he knows the fight he had to do to get up to where he is on the ladder. And you see, especially in middle management, right? Because I think, you know, that w- w- once you get sort of above that, you're in one of those positions, right? You're, or, or or you're on, on, on the track too, once that person retires and you know that already, right? Um, so, you know, I think, <clears throat> like you were saying, this idea of, we, in, we invent new economies every day, or not every day, but every 10 years. Um, so why not want to lean into that, right? Why not want to work through your stuff so that you, you're, you're actually open for the abundance that's in the world?
0: I think, though, that's a conversation that's 500 years old. Why not? Why not partner with these people and have more as opposed to being supremacist? But if you, as I began this show, if you say you'll make more money if you do this, you'll be, you can have money, you can have money, you can have more money. I think you could have, from reading your white paper and from years of knowing your work, I think you hit something here where we don't want you to do it because you're a good person. We want you to do it because it's good for the world economy. Right.
1: And I'm not showing up to work because you think, because you're a good person.
0: Yeah. I'm showing
1: up to work to get paid and I want to reach my bonus.
0: Yes, exactly right. In the white paper, you say, decentralizing your DEI. What does that mean?
1: When you look at some of the strongest organizations, right? And one of the strongest organizational structures. And what do I mean by strongest? I mean, most active, most sustainable, most trust within relationships, right? Longevity. What you see is that decentralized structures are the strongest. I don't understand what is decentralized. So decentralized is the, the best example. And there's actually a book called Starfish and Spider. But the best example is to talk about what it's not, right? So a centralized structure, you have a head, and then you have a below the head, and then you have someday they may want to be the head, right? And then you have the legs, right?
0: Okay,
1: okay. Um, and so if you cut off the head, the organi- the organism, right, the organization might die, right? Is at an extreme disadvantage because all of the institutional knowledge, the power, the momentum was at the top, right? It was centralized in a place. And what you see in centralized structures is that people don't see their own agency and leadership, right? So rather than trusting me to do my work, you command me to do my work, right? So in a decentralized structure, everyone understands how they're a leader and how they can participate, right? You don't have to wait for the CEO to say, be nice to people, right? You can start your own book club and see who wants to join, right? You can make a suggestion at the town hall, right? You can do these things. Um, and because the culture allows you to. And decentralized um, cultures I like the starfish model, which again comes out of this book, um, Starfish and Spider, but it stands on five legs. The first leg is a shared ideology. So if you don't think DE&I is important, you shouldn't be a part of this group because that's not what we do here, right? We have a shared ideology. Oh, I get it now. That we ask people to be a part of. The second is that we have traditions. We have things we do together, right? Equity traditions, right? Values, things that we do together. The third is that we operate through pre-existing networks. No one's forced to come here, right? No one's being um, incentivized really to come here, right? We're asking friends, hey, Joya, I know you care about being Black at this company, we're starting an employee resource group. Do you want to join, right? So that we already have those relationships. Everyone's one to two degree separation. Who's a part of what I want to start? And then the last two, which is really where you start shifting the leadership, is the two roles are catalysts and champions. So you remove the hierarchy, right? So what's a catalyst? A catalyst is someone who changes the very nature of what's going on by being there. Ella Baker was a catalyst. Organizers are catalysts, Mm -hmm. right? It's not about them, but their being there changes the very nature, just like a a scientific catalyst, right? Uh, Changes it. Yeah. And a champion is exactly that. A champion promotes it. Right. And these also fall along some similar personality types. Right. Um, So, again, looking at the civil rights movement, Bayard Rustin, catalyst, Martin Luther King, champion.
0: Mm -hmm. Got it. That's clear now. And I can see how now within a company, if you go with the, you know, the Starfish model, you can keep this thing moving because if one stops the other, it's like engineering. If an engineer has an idea, the engineer has all of these different models and interfaces. So if one fails, the other one is there to back it up. So we can actually do this because we have this spider starfish model. As a matter of fact, for the audience, in addition to all the things you'll get to know about uh, malia all the information to get in touch with her there'll be a link to the white paper i'm also going to now put starship and starfish and spider a link to amazon so you can get that book and you can and malia, also pre-order my book I, do, I was just to about impact. to say that you think i wasn't going to say that okay now i before we close there's one other piece in your white paper i want to discuss ben and jerry Now, if you don't know, audience, Ben & Jerry's is a socially conscious business. And you want to tell us, in this white paper, you do tell us about that business. I mean, they're selling ice cream, so who would hate them?
1: But they do beyond that. Ben & Jerry's, for me, is an example of how you can actually do authentically good, right? Be actually authentically responsive to communities that are being oppressed and have it be a core part of your business to the point that you get bought, right? Every company in capitalism, you either want to go public or you want to get bought, right? But you want to get that check. You want to be able to get your capitalist card stamps, and you want (laughs) to retire with enough time to spend time with some grandkids, right? Yes. That That's the idea. So Ben and Jerry's did that, right? So no one can say, oh, well, they're just a small ice cream company. No, they're not, right? They're Unilever. Mm-hmm. Um, Unilever Mallory. is a very large company,
0: Yes.
1: right? And when the George Floyd incident happened, Ben and Jerry's put out this statement that I was like, wow, right? Because they're Unilever now, right? So I, I wasn't sure what we were going to see. And the statement was being shared all around about this is how companies should sound. And I was talking to Ben Cohen. We were actually doing something together around white allyship. And I was like, wow, Ben, did you all write that letter? Like that was a powerful letter. And he said, nope, Unilever wrote that letter. And it had this, they they did not lose a beat with the authenticity. Why? Because Unilever as a business- understands that their profitability within Ben & Jerry's is around understanding how to respond to diverse consumers. But I
0: would think that Ben Cohen, Ben & Jerry's, would have sold to Unilever, because for the audience to know, they also now own Shea Moisture, Carol's Daughter, and a lot of companies that they are, were small companies, women of color owned and now our Libra brothers, and that is one to get that check so you could have enough money to go home. And you know, um, I think Shea Moisha went off and bought Essence magazine, and that you want that check so that you can do bigger, greater things and spend time with the grandchildren. But before Ben and Jerry's went to Libra Brothers, they had this model because they were investing with Cal, uh, Calvert, and a socially conscious investment firm. They how they treat their people. So the model just. They picked where they were going to sell that company so that they can keep the model that is core to their to their being, to their standards. So anybody wants, there's a couple of things you can read about Ben and Jerry's about how they built this model. And I think from what I read in the from what I read in your white paper, future proofing, it is something that I'm going to encourage the CEOs I work with to go research and take a look at the white paper. Malia, you and I could talk about this forever and ever.
1: And we should.
0: And we should. We should. And I'm really going to have you back again to talk about this. Uh, And we'll be more specific as opposed to the broad strokes we did today. I think we set a tone today. But if I was a CEO listening to this show and you had a chance to talk to me, what would be that statement you would say to me now? what would you say to me? I'm going to start this. I'm motivated by you. I'm going to get my hands on the white paper. Malia, what do you need to say to me now?
1: Talk to your children about the economy they want to live in and who's building it. Cause this is a place that they actually get way more than you do. And they can help you understand why this is an important issue and um, strategy for you to get right within your company.
0: That's beautiful. And what would you say to me, CEO,
1: as for future-proofing? Why it's important? What What would you say? I think for future-proofing, at the end of the day, the longevity of your company is the goal. It's why you're the CEO. Um, and to miss people in that strategy is to be short-sighted.
0: Excellent, excellent. Malia Lazo, the founder and CEO of the Lazo Group. They're based in Boston, Massachusetts. Anything you want to know about her is going to be in the show description. She's my long dear friend and she continues to get into good trouble. <laughs> I about you. Thanks for joining us here.
1: Thank you, Joya. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining me for another episode of Unshackled Leadership, Unlanterned for Black Women. I hope you were inspired to make a change in your life. I want to acknowledge the outstanding work of my sound engineer, Chris Downing, of Dream Life Media Group, graphic designer Dominika Eldridge of Unique Creatives, and Victoria Cook of Next Level Marketing. Our theme music is called Morning Thoughts. It is composed and performed by Hotham of HothamMusic.com, and we found it on SoundCloud. I'm Joya Jefferson Nuri. I hope you will join me again. I'm <laughs>